Anna, remember that time the London news media invented the serial killer? historical podcast. I'm your host, Anna Webb. And I'm your host, Amanda Webb. This is a podcast where two sisters totally geek out about all of their favorite moments in history. And this week, I'm going to tell you all about Jack the Ripper. Ooh. Ooh. I want to give real quick, right at the top of the episode, a content warning for this one, because a lot of the stuff that we're going to talk about is fairly grisly. These were very, very um, serious and brutal murders that we will talk about in this episode. So if that is not your gig, <laughs> maybe don't listen to this one. Yeah. Um, just, I just totally get it. <laughs> we're not going to, it's not going to be nasty, but it's not a great topic all in all. So. Yeah. I mean, it's not, um, it's not PG. Yeah. No. PG 13 at least. Yeah. Yeah. Well, before we get into that, um, should we do a drink update? Yes, of course. Okay. Today, I'm drinking uh, peach tea. And the bottle says, with real sugar. Wow. Fancy. (laughs) I love peach tea. Me too. I'm drinking water. Wow. I will say, though, when I was finishing my notes last night, I had a glass of wine because it felt appropriate (laughs) for the topic. Oh, very fancy. Fancy. I might have a glass of wine later after we record. Nice. Nice. Well, should we just get right on into it? Yes, we should. I'm sorry. I was taking a drink (laughs) (laughs) of my peach tea. Drink drink update all in one. one. Tell us about it. Taste it. (laughs) Give me a flavor profile. Well, it's peach. (laughs) And And that's about it. (laughs) All right, so before I start talking about the actual murders, I wanted to talk a little bit about the culture that existed around the time that these started cropping up. Yes. So in the mid-1800s, there was a large influx of immigration to the east end of London, and a lot of the immigrants were Irish or Jewish from uh, Eastern Europe. The Whitechapel area specifically of East End is one of several neighborhoods that quickly gets overcrowded with all of the new immigration. Um, A major economic underclass develops in this area, so crime, violence, alcoholism, prostitution, all of that stuff become commonplace in the Whitechapel area of London. Doing a lot of crime. As often happens when areas like that get overcrowded. Sure. So the London Metropolitan Police estimate that there are 62 brothels and 1,200 working prostitutes in Whitechapel in 1888. Wow. Yeah, it's a lot. And that's not a big area. (laughs) No, it's not. It's not a big area of London. And London, it's technically like right outside of London. The London gates in the 1800s like were right up against Whitechapel. So it's like not that big of an area for there to be that much of that right so because of this Whitechapel is thought of as a quote notorious den of immortality this is largely because of a series of murders at the end of the 
1888, which will later be attributed to a serial killer known as Jack the Ripper. Bum, bum, bum. Bum, 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 indeed. (laughs) (laughs) So there are actually a series of 11 murders that occur from April 1888 to February 1891 that are collectively referred to as the Whitechapel murders. Yes, I've heard that. So there's some disagreement as to how many of these 11 Whitechapel murders were actually committed by Jack the Ripper. So some people think that he did all of them. Some people think that he did very few of them. Some people think that they were all done by different people. But most people agree that five of the 11 murders are Jack's, and these are known as the canonical five. Yes. That's what they are referred to as. I've heard that too. Yes. So the first two Whitechapel murders of Emma Smith, who was sexually assaulted and died of her injuries the next day, and Martha Tabram, who was stabbed 39 times, indeed, um, these two murders do not match the types of injuries or the violence associated with the canonical five, so they're not typically considered to be Ripper murders, and the same is true of the murders that come after these five. They don't match the same modus operandi. Mm -hmm. So... I want to talk a little bit about each of the Jack the Ripper murders. So I just want to tell you a little bit about the person and the day of their murder and when they found them. Oh boy, here we go. Oh boy, here we go. Yeah, this this will be the most brutal part Remember of the Remember that time? True crime. Yeah, yeah. So, Mary Ann Nichols, a 43-year-old woman oh. living in the Whitechapel area. What? Just 43 years old. Yeah. I... It, I was surprised as to how old most of these women were. Yes, right? You typically hear about these kinds of violent murders happening to younger women, but like all of, not all, most of his were in the, their 40s. They were middle age. You hear yeah. about it happening to younger women and much, much older women. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they're all middle-aged. So she's a 43-year-old woman living in the Whitechapel area. She leaves a pub after drinking for several hours. She walks back to her boarding house, but is refused admittance because she does not have the money to pay for a bed that night. And from what I read, this was commonplace for Mary. This happened to her a lot. Hmm. She goes back out on the streets, intending to prostitute herself to earn the money for her bed, which is, again, something that she has done before. Her roommate, Emily Holland, later said that Mary had earned enough to pay for her bed four times that night, but kept spending money on more alcohol instead. Yeah. (laughs) Unfortunate. Emily is the last to see Mary alive at about 2.30 a.m. Mary is found dead by Charles Cross at 4, or 3.40 a.m. on August 31st, 1888. She is found outside of a stable on Bucks Row in Whitechapel with her throat severed by two cuts and a deep cut across her lower abdomen. Ugh, Ugh yes. And that's not even the grossest one. Oh, no, no, not even slightly is it the grossest one. Oh, um, she has several other cuts to her abdomen and her skirt is raised when she is found. Uh, Charles Cross and Robert Paul, who is passing by when Charles finds the body, report the death to the police. They call a surgeon who arrives at four o'clock in the morning and determines that she has been dead for about 30 minutes and that the murderer probably only took about five minutes to kill her. Wait, she'd been dead about 30 minutes when the surgeon got there? Yeah, at 4 a.m. Okay. That means that when Charles found the body at 3.40, she'd only been dead for about 10 minutes. minutes. Uh Uh-huh. 
And because it was so quick, the murderer was probably gone. Right. Because it didn't take very long to perform. So Jack's second victim was named Annie Chapman, who is a 47-year-old woman living in the Whitechapel area. Uh, Much like Mary Ann Nichols, she returns to her lodging house after a pint at a local pub at 1.45 a.m. She, too, has no money to pay for a bed. She asks the head of the house to hold a room for her while she goes out and earns the money for her bed on the street. Elizabeth Long is the last to see Annie alive. She will later report that she sees Annie at about 5.30 a.m. outside of 29 Hanbury Street with a man. She describes the man as over 40 and a little taller than Annie, with dark hair and a foreign, quote, shabby genteel appearance. Hmm. Over time, we get a few different descriptors of people that think they saw the murderer because... A lot of these women were prostitutes, so a lot of the last times they were seen was with men, and they were, like, all wildly different. So it's hard to tell if any of them, like, were actually the killer. Well, plus, you know, people's memories are foggy. Yes. As time goes on. Yes. Also that. She says he is wearing a deer stalker hat and a dark overcoat. He's Sherlock Holmes. He is Sherlock Holmes, apparently. (laughs) Annie is found dead by John Davis at 6 a.m. on September 8, 1888. She is found in the backyard of 29 Hanbury Street, which is where John Davis lives, with her throat severed by two cuts and her abdomen cut open. So it's the same mm-hmm. injuries that we saw with the last girl, which is what people, why people start thinking, oh, this is probably the same person. There's a pattern. There's a pattern. Uh, she had been disemboweled. And it would later be discovered that her uterus and bladder had been removed. So this is where we start seeing the more gross and violent stuff. Oh, that's gross. Yeah, it's the worst. The police are informed and a doctor is called to observe the body. I found this very interesting because I hadn't heard this until I started doing research. The doctor who observes the body notices that Annie's face is swollen and her tongue is sticking out, leading him to believe that Annie may have been asphyxiated to death before her throat was cut. I have heard that before. I hadn't heard that before. And that's so interesting because it tells you that the cutting the throat was not just to kill them. It was like, yeah, well, part of his whole thing. I'm sure we'll go into it more later, like the theories and stuff. But people, there are so many things that you can take away from how they were killed and the injuries they sustained. Yeah. To determine the pathology of the person who yeah, did it. Yeah, And the thing I think that's the most specific through line is that it's personal. Not that the killer necessarily knew them, but that the type of person he chose was personal to him. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Yeah. And the asphyxiation tracks with that. Yeah. So the next two victims were killed on the same night. Right. So this is the night of the double event. Elizabeth Stride, a 44-year-old woman living in the Whitechapel area, is a registered prostitute. So the his first two victims would, like, occasionally... Oh, okay. ...do that to make money when they needed it and had fallen on hard times. But this person, but, like, like a, worked at Elizabeth a was a... Yeah, was a registered prostitute and worked at a brothel. Uh, Because of this, she had been seen with a few clients on the night of her death, which was normal for her. So she is seen with several men that night. 
Witnesses see her at around 11 p.m. with a client and then with a different client at around 11.45 p.m. PC William Smith is the last to see her alive at 12.35 a.m. He later reports that he sees her with a man wearing a hard felt hat on Burner Street. Elizabeth is found dead by Louis... I can't pronounce his name. There we go. I really, I really thought we weren't going to have any this time because it was like just a lot of British people. And I can usually pull that out. But this man, I think, was an immigrant because he was like at a gentleman's club for like Jewish men or something like that. It, it looks uh, either... Jimmy Schultz? I don't know. I would know. say Dimschutz. Dimschutz. It's I don't German know. to me. Yeah, yeah, it might be German. But he finds her at about 1 a.m. on September 30th, 1888. She is found in Duffield's yard, which is right off Burner Street, with her throat severed and the wound still bleeding. Oh, gosh. It appears that she was killed just moments before she was found. Oh, Some gosh. are skeptical that this was a Jack the Ripper killing because the abdomen wasn't cut and she wasn't disemboweled. But it but, sounds to me that he... I always thought that... He heard someone coming. Exactly. So many believe that the killer was interrupted during the murder. Right. And because the yard was really heavily trafficked, that he killed Elizabeth and then killed again that same night because he didn't get to, like, finish, quote, finish his work. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But this is the only one that they found. Like, she was last seen, like, 40 minutes before she was found. And her wound was still bleeding. So that man was probably, like, in that, in Duffield's yard with Jack the Ripper and had no idea. So Catherine Eddowes, a 46-year-old woman living in on the edge of the Whitechapel area, is unlike all the other victims in that she is not a prostitute. She is, however, a massive drunk See, <laughs> in my readings, I found. Too. It does. It also tracks. Because of this, she is found at 8.30 p.m. passed out drunk on Aldgate Street, High Street. She is arrested and taken to a nearby police station to sober up. She is released at about 1 a.m. and she begins walking home. And I thought this was interesting. She took a longer path home by walking down Aldgate Street. So she didn't really have any reason to be on that street. She could have walked like a shorter way. Mm. But she went back the way that she had came. I don't know. Just thought it was interesting. She is last seen alive by Joseph Lauden? Yeah. Lauden? Laud- Laud- I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> and two of his friends at about 1.30 a.m. Uh, Joseph would later describe seeing her with a man, but neither of her companions could identify her or her companion. So he remembers seeing her and was able to correctly identify her. And I think that the people who were with him were like, yeah, we think we saw her, but neither of them remembered okay. her. She, Catherine is found dead by PC Edward Watkins at 1.45 a.m. on September 30th, 1888 in Mitre Square in London, not in Whitechapel, with her throat severed and a deep cut through her abdomen. She had been disemboweled and her left kidney and part of her uterus had been removed. That's so gross. And again, this person was really close to, like... The last time she was seen alive was eleven or it was one thirty, right. and she was found dead at one forty-five. And she, that you is know, wild. she might not be a prostitute, but she is the right age. Yep. She matches the type of person that he would pick out. 
Yeah. And it, it does totally track that he was in the middle of one and got interrupted and then and then had to go find somebody else. And he didn't have yeah. time to say that person is or is not a prostitute. She's walking alone at 1.30 in the morning. And if it's me walking around London, a, a woman... At this time, walking home around one thirty in the morning, it's not far. You would off assume to she was a prostitute. She could be. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Right. So, like I said, PC Watkins had patrolled the area at one thirty, and nothing seemed amiss. But found her body as he patrolled back through fifteen minutes later. Oh, so he passed the place where she was. Uh huh. He there. he. Her, the last time she was seen, he had been patrolling that area. That is wild. And he was walking back through as he finished his patrol and found This could have been the night that it could have all gone wrong for him. Yeah, it really could have. And it kind of did, but but he, like, saved it, I guess. I don't know how else to say it. Yeah, yeah. He found a way to finish what he came to do. Yeah. So So some doctors believe that the killer must have had some knowledge of anatomy to have been able to so carefully remove her organs in the dark. Yes, I've heard that. Yeah, but then other doctors believe that, like, he has no skills or knowledge whatsoever and think that, like, his patterns had no indication that he had any knowledge of anatomy, which I think is really interesting that they so aggressively disagree on that point. I think the instinct is, well, okay, he is removing certain organs, which makes you think he knows how to locate them in the body and remove them. But I think maybe where the doctor's arguments are is, um, you know, did he do it in the same manner every time? Because if he didn't and it was just haphazard, then no, he probably doesn't have medical knowledge. If he did it, does it the same way every time, that's procedural, you yeah. know? So mm-hmm. maybe that's where the difference comes in. That would make sense. So because... Uh, Elizabeth and Catherine are both killed on the night of the 30th. It becomes known as the double event. And like we said before, it's believed that the Ripper was interrupted when he killed Elizabeth Stride, moved a a few blocks away into London, and killed Catherine Eddowes only 30 minutes later so he could, quote, complete his work. (laughs) And the guy was patrolling. He was right there. Uh Uh-huh. And he killed these two women 30 minutes apart. That is wild. How different would things have been had they caught him that night? Yeah. We we probably wouldn't know who he was. Or very few people would know. Yeah. yeah or care. Yeah. There's a whole sect of criminal research devoted to Jack right. the Ripper. They call it Ripperology. I mean, it would still, like people... I think, be notable because of the manner in which they were killed. Like, the gruesome aspect people would still latch on to. But it wouldn't. It, but it wouldn't be this great mystery. We would know. Yeah. Man, so close. So close. So this is his last victim that we're going to talk about. Mary Jane Kelly, a 25-year-old woman okay. living in the Whitechapel area, uh, which is weird. It's it's odd that she's so much younger. She might have looked older. Maybe. Um. She returns to her lodgings drunk, as per usual. She is seen by her friend and a fellow prostitute, Mary Ann Cox, at 11.45 p.m. So when I was reading about Mary Jane Kelly, I had seen that she was really, really afraid of Jack the Ripper, obviously, because she's a prostitute in Whitechapel while this is happening, and that she had started, like, housing other prostitutes in her lodgings to keep them safe. Oh, man. Yeah. Had been, she was like trying to like help oh, that people. Makes me so sad. 
Yeah, also makes me very sad. So other residents of her lodging house report hearing her singing in her room until between 1 and 1.30 a.m. Apparently she had been seen taking a guy back to her room. Nobody saw him leave, but they heard her singing drunk all night. George Hutchinson is the last to see her alive at about 2 a.m. He sees her. I think that this guy was a member of the Whitechapel Vigilance group that stayed out and um, neighborhood watch. The neighborhood watch, because he reports seeing her, like, while he's on his watch. Okay. Um, he sees her on Dorset Street, uh, the street where she lives, taking a man back to her room. So she's taking another client back, presumably. Mary is found dead by Thomas Bauer at 10.45 a.m. on November 9th, 1888, in her own rooms at 13 Miller's Court. Oh. Yeah, this is the bad another one. Another change him up, too, though. Yeah. Bauer had been going to collect rent from Mary and looked through her window when she did not answer and he saw her dead. Okay, I'm going to give yet another content warning because this is the really bad one and I didn't even write down the worst of it. Her throat had been severed so deeply that her head was almost removed from the body. The The whole of the front of her body was so severely mutilated that she was basically unrecognizable. Oh my god. Like, skin cut back, that kind of stuff. Very, very gross. Yeah, it's awful. Her abdomen was hollowed out, and all of her organs were piled on the floor next to her body. The only organ that was missing was her heart. Everything else was there. Ugh. Yeah, it's really, really bad. This is also the only crime scene of the Ripper murders that was photographed. So... You can see it. I don't don't suggest it. it. It's really nasty. I've seen the pictures. It's really gross. I don't suggest it, but they exist. Just like, uh, who has the time? You know? This is the thing. Like, Like, because this was in closed doors in her room, it's believed that he was able to, like, do everything that he had wanted to do to the other women he killed. But you could argue the opposite, that it wasn't a good place for it, right? Because she's in a building with other people, and she's screaming, I'm sure. Oh, no, I'm pretty sure it is believed for her and all his victims that he killed them before he mutilated them. But still, you know, like, somebody is in her room that's not supposed to be there and is trying to kill her. She screams, right? It just seems like not... A good place like in her own home yeah i've read somewhere that somebody had apparently at like four in the morning heard someone cry murder but that seems like that's that not seems like something someone says after the fact you know i did hear exactly it, because they've convinced themselves that something must have happened that they would hear exactly it. Yeah, I didn't put it down initially because that sounded ridiculous to me. I was like, that's not, yeah. So the doctors that observed the crime scene believe that she had died sometime between 2 and 8 a.m. Like, she was so thoroughly busted that they couldn't really tell exactly when she died. And they believe that all the mutilations would have taken the killer about two hours to complete. So for two hours, he's in this building full of people. That could have mm-hmm. walked in at any moment. Well, I mean, in her, nobody would have gone into her room. Okay, but they presumably. could have. And it's not like, it's not like in, uh, you know, your dorm room where nobody's going to walk into your room at three in the morning, right? It's 
a brothel or a house where where lots of prostitutes live. They're up all night anyway, and they're friends with each other and can walk in. Or a man they've brought home gets lost and goes to the wrong room. Like, Well, I mean, the door was locked, but you're right still. They could have, though. It's just like it's mind-boggling to me that he could be in there for two hours and no one knows. I think the presumption is that, like... You're right, because people were in and out of there all the time. It wouldn't have been odd for a man to have been in there for a long time. Sure, but it also wouldn't have been odd for someone else to have walked in or tried to get in or knocked on the door in sometime in those two hours to interrupt him. But he was in there for two hours. Man. Man, indeed. Gosh. It's wild. So, that that, that is the canonical five. We're through the worst of it. God. <laughs> There are another four murders that are a part of the Whitechapel murders, but they're not considered to be Jack the Ripper murders because they don't match the same conditions of the rest of the murders. They were very, very different. I I read about some of them and they were all like, I get why they all get grouped as the Whitechapel murders, but I don't understand why anyone would think that he had done any of the rest of them. Well, they're all around the same time. And you have to think those other ones are, that's what happens. Right? It's like when a serial killer is on the loose, other people take advantage of the opportunity because it will get pinned on the most notorious person. Yeah. So I'm going to talk just a little bit about the investigation that took place because it wasn't the best investigation because it was London in 1888. Yeah. (laughs) The majority of the investigation involves officers just going door to door and asking questions and making arrests, basically. Because that's kind of all they could do. (laughs) right in this scenario there's no cctv yet how would they know exactly (laughs) a group of volunteer citizens who call themselves the Whitechapel vigilance committee patrol the streets so that's who i was talking about earlier who i'm pretty sure that guy um who found who was the last to see mary ann was a part of the Whitechapel vigilance committee constant vigilance Mm mm-hmm uh, this is a quote I found when I was reading. More than 2,000 people are interviewed, upwards of 300 people are investigated, and 80 people are detained in this investigation. That's just desperation right there. Yep. Yes, it is. Because people were very afraid. Mm-hmm. Most of the people investigated were butchers, slaughterers, surgeons, and physicians. Of course. Because the pe- people obviously thought, like, maybe it was a physician or a surgeon because of the carefulness of a couple of the Mm -hmm. disembowelments but other people thought well maybe it's a butcher because they would just know how to get stuff out of there they have the stomach to that too you know i thought this was really interesting police surgeon thomas bond's professional opinion about the character of the murderer is the earliest surviving offender profile well sure that makes sense yeah, I just thought that was really interesting because I think that that was a commonplace thing that they did, like brought in the surgeons to give an offender profile, but it's like the only one that was written down and it's the only one that survived because this case was so famous. Right. Like a lot of the files have been lost, but the ones that we've been able to save, like tell us a lot about the way that they investigated murders in the 1800s. And I assume it's like it probably goes deeper than some of the past ones. Yes. Because there was such an urgency to find the person, you wanted to uh-huh. like, know everything you could about them. You can read some of it. I found, mm-hmm. I read some of it, like, on Wikipedia. Like, mm-hmm. 
it's it's out there. It's very interesting. I've heard parts of it in like they use it in like the documentaries and stuff you watch. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure Bond's professional opinion was that it wasn't a surgeon, hmm. if I remember correctly, that they didn't know anything about. Well, he anatomy. is a surgeon, so he would probably exactly know. right. Yeah. Yep. So no suspect ever admitted to the killings, and no one was ever tried and found guilty of committed in the murders. So we just don't know who it was. We have no idea. We'll never know. Man. It's believed that the reason the Ripper murders stopped is because the murderer either died, was imprisoned, or institutionalized for some other reason, or that they immigrated. So we we will literally never know. We have no idea who it was, how they did it, what, like why they did it, nothing. We'll never know. I think there are a lot of theories that it's someone who... Um was probably who probably ended up in australia Mm. because that was an easy Mm -hmm. place for someone like that to travel and then just like go into obscurity yeah i also think it's totally plausible that while they were doing all of these arrests in this area or all over london in that time they just got caught on something else or institutionalized for some reason and never admitted to it but was just like gone for all intents and purposes just we would never know that it was them, you know? Mm-hmm. Okay. I want to talk a little bit about the letters yes. that the news received and then also about the media and the way that they covered it because I find I find this to be the most fascinating the portion of this story. So interesting. They're so interesting. Okay, so there are three. The Dear Boss letter is received by the Central News Agency on September 27th, 1888, between the murders of Annie Chapman and the night of the double event. I I find it so funny. The Dear Boss. Yeah. It makes me laugh. Yeah, same. But it always does. But it does. Yeah. Oh, all of these letters do. All of these letters do. Yeah. It's wild. It had been postmarked on the 25th and was received by the news only three days before the double event. So it was presumably written five days before, received three days before. It was originally considered a hoax, but in the letter, the writer says that he will, quote, clip the lady's ear off. And one of the double event victims, Catherine Eddowes, was found with part of her ear missing. And so that's what pe- why people started believing mm-hmm. That it was a real letter. The author of the letter signed it as Jack the Ripper, making this the first time the name was used and publicized. See, this one to me, I feel like is the most likely to be from the real murderer. Yeah. Because first of all, that detail Mm -hmm. is very specific. And secondly, people, okay, serial killers want to be known and remembered so mm-hmm. they give themselves those names. Yeah. And that's, like, super common. And this is, like, where the tradition, I guess, of the of the media using those names began. Yes. But I t- I t- I'm going to talk about that I, a little And later, I'm sure you yes. will. I, I don't want to step on it. But, I th- you know, they do that for a reason. Even if the killer doesn't name themselves, the media will do right. it. But the killer like, wants to name themselves because mm-hmm. they want to go, yeah, they're talking about me. And I, I'm known for this. It's like, it's like when, uh, the guys in Home Alone want to be the wet bandits. (laughs) Everybody's got to have a thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's believed that the name Jack the Ripper, where either the, where the author of this got it from, was there was another killer in London who was known as Springheeled Jack, 
who jumped over walls to stab people. Uh. And they think that the killer got, or the writer of the letter got the name Jack from that because that's what the media started calling that person. That's where the Jack comes from. So that's the first letter. And they also had every reason to believe it was a hoax because they were getting so much stuff. They were getting so many letters of people like trying to help or like falsely confessing and like all of this stuff was all coming in all at once. I forget. Did they publish the Dear Boss letter like right after it came in? They published it a few days later. I'll talk about that in a few minutes. That's what I thought. I just couldn't remember. So the second letter was the Saucy Jack postcard, (laughs) which is postmarked and received by the Central News Agency on October 1st, 1888, the day after the double event. The author says, quote, double event this time, one squealed a bit, couldn't finish straight off. Some believe that this had to be from the real murderer because it mentioned details of the case that hadn't been released yet, but it was postmarked after some outlets had started reporting on the murders. So it's unclear as to whether it could have possibly been written and sent before people knew about it because people started, at this point in following these murders, people started reporting on it so fast that the author of this could have known by then. So the last one is my favorite one. It's the From Hell letter, which is received by the head of the Whitechapel Vigilance Committee, Georgia Lusk, on October 16th, 1888. The letter came with a package that contains half a kidney preserved in ethanol, which is gross. (laughs) (laughs) We both just tried to edit my notes in a bad way. The the author claims to have fried and ate the other half of the kidney. Catherine Eddowes was missing her left kidney when she was found, so it's possible that that might be mm-hmm. her kidney. The author also says he might, quote, send you the bloody knife that took it out if you only wait a while longer. Also, I will note that these, all of these are, like, riddled with spelling oh, errors, yeah. so it is so interesting to read yeah. them with all of the spelling errors. Which I think is another indication that it probably wasn't a surgeon. It yeah, that like it was probably just a dude. Who had, like, minimal education. If you believe that they wrote these. <gasps> right, Which, right. who knows. But still. Um, this letter is not signed as Jack the Ripper. It's not really signed. It just says, like, catch me if you can, Lusk. Something like that. Which, for me, doesn't really track, right? Because if you're the serial yeah. killer, then you're going to sign it. And you're going to use the name that you've given yourself. Or the name that the media has but this given is, you, one or the other. This is the most dramatic one. Like, they sent a it kidney. Is, but that, again, makes me feel like it's less likely that it's the person. It mm-hmm. sounds like somebody who's who really wants you to believe that it's them. Or the other possibility is that he has a partner who's trying to throw people off the set. Yeah. The doctor who observes the kidney confirms that it is from the left side of the body, but cannot determine if it was Catherine's or not. Which is curious, because where else would you get a kidney, maybe? But (laughs) it's hard to tell. But it's also Whitechapel, so who knows? So who knows? This doctor apparently also received a letter signed from Jack the Ripper later, but most people don't believe that it was real, so I didn't put it in. But I just thought that was interesting, that he also apparently got a letter after observing the kidney. Right. 
So here's where we were talking about Scotland Yard releases the Dear Boss and Saucy Jack notes on October 3rd, 1888, hoping that someone may see and recognize the handwriting. See, so that's that why they to me it. is where they messed up. Yep. <laughs> yep. Because yep, you're yep, just yep, inviting yep. people to write to you at that point. Uh-huh. 100%. It's also very interesting because the Dear Boss and Saucy Jack letters look like they're probably the same handwriting. The From Hell letter is like wildly different. Yeah. It looks very, very different. And it looks like the the typos, if you will, are on purpose yeah, to me yeah. in the From Hell letter. Uh, most officers and journalists believed that the letters were a hoax written by some other journalists who wanted the Jack the Ripper story to sell. And that is the lo- sort of prevailing theory, that none of them were real and that they were all hoax letters. Certainly possible. It's certainly po- I just don't know. It's It's fascinating. <laughs> Um, apparently, in 1931, a journalist named Fred Best... Have heard of him. ...confessed to writing the letters with a colleague at the Star newspaper. Mm-hmm. And he said that they signed them giving the killer a name to keep readers interested in the murders. So, you know, he yeah, obviously could be lying. Yeah, there but was no interest... There were no interesting aspects of it. Had to write a letter. <laughs> yeah. It, you know... But I also think that is the prevailing theory that he, the killer never, never named himself and that these journalists from the Star newspaper, newspaper were the people who did it. It could just so easily be either one of those things. Yes, it is. I think it is very clearly one or the other. And I think I think that either both Dear Boss and Saucy Jack were real and From Hell was fake or the first two were fake and From Hell was real. There, I think there's no in between. You don't think that the first two were fake written by a journalist and that the third one was just a copycat? I, I think that if any of them were real, it was either the first two and not the third or not the first two and the third. But was. there's also a possibility that none of them were. Yes. Yeah. But I don't think, I think if any of them were real, I don't think all three of them no, were. No, 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 no. I don't think so either. Yeah. So here's just a little bit about like the sort of culture around this and why it was so popular in the news. Tax reforms in the 1850s made newspapers cheaper to make and circulate. So they, people were trying to find a story out of anything when it started being easier for them to make papers. Mm-hmm. The, this I found interesting. Right when the murder started happening... Journalists were frustrated that the police wouldn't release any information about the early murders. So they just started writing stories of questionable validity so they could sell papers. And that's when it really started to spiral. Oh, man. It's almost like that still happens. (laughs) It's almost like all the time. And this was also very interesting to me. After the first murder, newspapers started calling the murderer Leather Apron. Have you heard of this before? Um, I think so. Yeah, I have. There was a Jewish shoemaker who was nicknamed Leather Apron in that area and who who was arrested but released very quickly because his alibi checked out. And so just some good old racism uh, (laughs) trying to get that guy put away. It's not as good as Jack the Ripper. It's not. It's not nearly as good. Also, I'm sorry. Can we just not 100% agree that this is a middle class white man? That was doing the murders? Yeah. Oh, yeah, probably. Has to yeah. be. Oh, totally. Um, because of the nature of the murders and the victims and the massive attention the murders received in the news media, a lot of attention was drawn to the poor living conditions in East London 
or in the East End of London. The public were suddenly very concerned about the overcrowded slums that these victims had been living in. Mm, so weird how that happens. So I read in the two decades after the murders, the worst of the slums were cleared and demolished. So weird how that happens. So weird how that happens. <laughs> it wasn't just popular in the media in the area where it was happening, it got spread all over London and people started cleaning up. So at least something came out of it. Yeah, except for the demolishing of people's homes. Yeah. Because <laughs> that was, they just did it the wrong way. Yeah. Uh, by the 1920s and 30s, Jack the Rilla, oh my gosh, mm-hmm. blah. Okay. Jack the Ripper had become little more than a children's boogeyman and a commonplace villain. So like, he had kind of fallen out of popularity popularity but people still knew him it was just sort of like a household tale for a while this i found fascinating and i quoted it directly because i think it's really interesting by the 1960s the ripper had become the symbol of a predatory er, er, aristocracy aristocracy thank you and was often portrayed in a top hat dressed as a gentleman the establishment as a whole became the villain, with the Ripper acting as a manif- a manifestation of upper-class exploitation. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, I mean, I've definitely seen that depiction before. Yeah. I feel like that was a, that's been a common one. Yeah. With the that's top hat. That's what I picture. Mm-hmm. And I guess I never thought about the fact that that's just how I had seen it represented. Mm-hmm. In the 20s and 30s, he was always uh, depicted in just, like, common clothes. But it wasn't until the 60s when people started using him as the symbol of the villainous establishment that you start seeing him dressed like that. Because it's not very likely that it was a rich person. It was probably either a middle class dude or a poor, desperate person. But in the narrative, you can draw parallels to make that a... Exactly. Yeah. So I just wanted to touch on a few of the theories that I thought were interesting we obviously will not get into all of them because there are literally thousands yeah. oh my god and they still keep coming up with them oh yeah oh yes they do if you want to if you want to know the best jack the ripper theories tweet at maureen johnson and ask oh her what gosh. she knows maureen johnson is a young adult author and she has delved deep into the jack the ripper murders and every time there's a new theory i feel like she comments on it and i'm always so interested to hear her thoughts yes please go read the shades of london series by maureen johnson because it's what got me into jack the ripper and what made me so interested because those books are so good and the first one talks a lot about jack the ripper anyway Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) so many of the theories center on the idea that this type of brutality could have only been done by an outsider Mm. Mm. Many people arrested at the time that the theories existed now pin the murders on immigrants who entered Victorian society and brought violence with them. Yeah, that just sounds like the same old, same old. Exactly. That's, you know, that to me sounds like the opposite of what it must be. Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. I fully think it's a person who lived among these people and grew up in that environment. Yeah. In a similar vein as the first one, many of the suspects and the theories revolve around the underclass who lived in the Whitechapel area and who were all considered violent and uneducated criminals. I mean, so, yeah. Yeah. 
people in the same way that they're like, oh, it has to be a foreigner, say, oh, it has to be one of these uneducated people, you know Although what I mean? Although that like, one is more likely. That one is more likely because of the nature of the area, but still, right. that a lot of the broader theories rest on those ideas. Right. This one is pretty wild. Yeah. This is one of my faves. A theory developed in the 1960s, around the same time the Ripper was being used as a metaphor for the villainous upper class. And the theory was that Queen Victoria's grandson, Eddie, was the Ripper. I've heard Hmm. this one before. Mm -hmm. One version of this theory is that Eddie was, quote, seized by a syphilis-induced psychosis and killed five women. Now, I've heard that about other suspects, too. Um, The other theory is that Eddie snuck away to the East End and married a Catholic woman and had a child with her. And to avoid the scandal getting out, the establishment split them up and arranged the murders of five women who knew the truth. Sure. Here's the thing about that second one. Uh Uh-huh. If the establishment were going to arrange the murders of five women, they would have been much cleaner Mm-hmm. than that even they in wouldn't the have started era, a frenzy yeah i'm talking poisonings yeah or one stab wound maybe it it would not oh have yeah like that it doesn't make any sense all of the other brutality is totally pointless right if that is the case and it doesn't point to anyone in particular to where they could say like we're pinning this it on person. this person yeah you know it's, it's useless. I have heard the uh, syphilis theory about many other suspects. Yes. I think it's generally the theory is that it was probably someone who um, who pro- who probably frequented brothels uh-huh. and somehow got syphilis and decided to take revenge on prostitutes. Yes. That's, I think, the generalized overarching theory. And one of the most likely ones. It is likely. I've also heard other theories about like, oh, it was this... When people pick out specific people, it's like, oh, this guy must have done it because like his mom was a prostitute and she abandoned him and all this stuff. And it's like, I I think the more likely one was that it was a person who liked to sleep with a lot of prostitutes who had also slept with a lot of other men and somehow got a disease and found that he felt... He felt that he was entitled to live, you know, the way he wanted yeah. to, and these women must have wronged him somehow, and that yep. he could kill them all to get his revenge. Yes. And also the thought that it was like a syphilis-induced psychosis is probably not that far yeah. off, because it messes with yeah. your brain. And so, like... Definitely could have happened. Mm-hmm. Um, here are a couple more unconventional ones that are quite interesting. Okay. In 1996, the author Richard Wallace suggested, this is so dumb, and there's no way it's true, but I just thought it was funny, that that Jack the Ripper was none other than Lewis Carroll on the basis of the world-famous novelist left anagrams in his novels confessing to the killing spree in 1888. It's total garbage. and if you play Led Zeppelin's albums backwards, it's satanic (laughs) messages, like... I remember this happening. And it was fully that, like, 90s, like, grunge thing, I feel like. That was like, well, it has to be somebody who was under our noses, you know? like The whole time, yeah. I don't know, so weird. Yes. That's a weird one. I remember that. I remember that being in the news. This last one that I'm going to talk about is probably my favorite, and I find it very interesting. 
History's 2017 series American Ripper posits that H.H. Holmes was also Jack the Ripper. Jeff Mudgett, the great-great-grandson of Holmes, believed that the two were the same person. He bases his assertions on the writings in two of the diaries he inherited from Holmes, which detail Holmes' participation in the murder and mutilation of a number of prostitutes in London. That is fascinating. I watched that series. I haven't watched it yet. It was very good. Um, This one seemed a little wilder to me. Mudgett also claims that the man that died in the public hanging uh, that took place on May 7th, 1896, was not Holmes, but rather a man that Holmes tricked into going to the gallows in his place. That seems less likely to me. That's where it falls apart, right? Because you're in the series and you're like, okay... You know, I here's the thing. I'm never going to believe any theory that comes out about Jack the Ripper. Unless you can give me forensic evidence, like, I'm not going to believe it. But, you know, I'll watch those things and I'll go, all right, I see your theory. I get it. Because the thought with that one was that, like, when the Holmes killing stopped in America was the same time that he traveled to right, London. Yes. And the time that the London killing stopped was when he returned right. to America. So the timelines But then up. it gets to the part where it's like, also, that wasn't him. And you're like, oh, God, man. Now you just sound like a conspiracy theorist. Yeah. If you had just kept it yeah. in one spot, it would have been fine. Just stick to one kind of weird thing. Yeah, I do find this one very interesting, and there's more evidence for this one than maybe any of the other theories I've yeah. seen. Yeah, and, and it's not impossible. Because the type of brutality that Holmes used was similar to the type that Jack the Ripper right. used. Certainly possible. I don't buy the fact that the Holmes fact didn't that die somebody either. else was like, yeah, I'll get hanged for you. Yeah, like, bud, that's not the one. That's a big no for me. Some fascinating I think that's history. not all I have. On Jack the Ripper. Yeah, a little mystery for us. Fascinating. Should we do some Google autofill? I think we definitely should. I think we'll get some interesting stuff for Jack. Yeah. Stu is Jack the Ripper real? Yes. I mean, yeah. It was a person who killed people. Now, is it real that it was one person? Probably, but who actually knows? Um, is Jack the Ripper H.H. Holmes? Who knows? Who knows? Is Jack the Ripper solved? No. Probably never will be. (laughs) No. That is the most frustrating thing to me in things like this, is that there is someone who knows. Yeah. There is Or there was at some point. And, but it's also possible that every person who knows were just the people who were killed by him. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. And the person who actually did it. The people who can't tell us. Yeah. It sucks. It's infuriating. Yeah. Um, is Jack the Ripper the first serial killer? No. No. But but like I said at the beginning, the media frenzy that was Jack the Ripper sort of created the concept of a serial killer as we know it. As a person who could be like characteristically identified like people killed many people that has been a thing for a long time but the way that we think of serial killers sort of stemmed from jack the ripper the serial aspect where it's a repeated pattern and there's a pathology hh holmes was killing at the same time as jack the ripper but we didn't know about him until after jack the ripper and people consider hh holmes to be america's first serial killer but exactly people have been doing that forever is Jack the Ripper Sherlock Holmes? Uh, oh my god, mm. I said that earlier. You did. It's the hat. Oh my god. 
But also, Sherlock Holmes is fictional. Fictional. So, no. (laughs) Here's a wild one. Is Jack the Ripper still alive? Um, 1888. Uh, I don't, hmm, think so. Don't think so. I'm going to go with a hard pass on that one. Is Jack the Ripper left-handed? I don't know. I bet that has something to do with the direction of the yeah. cuts to the throat, but I am not sure. That seems like something that we should know. That seems like something that yeah. should be... I bet it's somewhere. Probably. Um, I did was Jack the Ripper. Let's see if we find anything different. On the Titanic? Whoa! Okay! What? <laughs> Worlds colliding! What? Wow, okay, um... Jack the Ripper Titanic connections when I Google that. Oh, oh. that sounds like fun. Oh, no. That's interesting. Hmm. Why is this so commonly searched? I hadn't known that. I hadn't heard that one. What? I mean, that, that if, if it was a person who had the means to go on the Titanic, the it was close enough together that could have could have went down with the shit. Here's something that I have found on a forum. Mm-hmm. On a forum, here's something that I have found just now. That somebody has written that this is an inter- interesting little piece of information they found while doing some research about Jack the Ripper and the Titanic. In 1992, a diary that was supposedly written by Jack the Ripper surfaced due to the new details and other evidence that has surfaced to prove the diary's authenticity in the past 10 years. I'm convinced that the writer of the diary diary was James Maybrick. An interesting thing to note is that one of James Maybrick's closest friends was the editor of the Review of Reviews. What a name. William T. Stead, who perished on the Titanic. Also, a distant cousin of William Carter, whose name was... Wait, whose name was also William Carter? What? What are you saying? Gave evidence at the trial of Maybrook's wife, Florence, for murdering her husband. This is just one of those interesting little things that I was surprised to see linked in history. So it's not that Jack was on the Titanic, but had connections to people on the Titanic. That's interesting. interesting. And again, decently plausible, because the times were not that far apart. If if this James Maybrook was Jack the Ripper, then... That person's wife killed him, so maybe that's what happened to him. Huh. Very interesting. I hope that that's true, and I hope that that what actually happened to him was that he was married to a woman who found out, and she got so mad that she just offed him. Yeah, that would be great. Be the best ending for him, I think. It it really would. I'm sorry she got hanged, but if that's the case, <laughs> if not, and she's just a murderer, okay. <laughs> Well, I feel like the rest of the Google questions were more of the same. Well, so I how feel like that's all we're going to get out of that well. Yeah. That's a good way to. I think that's a great spot to end it that Jack the Ripper's friend died on the Titanic. <laughs> <laughs> the conclusion to which we have come today. Man. Is that a, the only person that knew was a dude on the Titanic and he's gone? Wouldn't that be something? That, that would be a real and something. And the other person was his wife, who was also gone because she also killed gone. Him. I'm going to stick and with he's that gone theory. Too. I like that theory. I do too. I like that. Mine. Well, wow. If you um, enjoyed this episode, if you have other things that you would like us to, to talk about, if you have questions, comments, concerns, 
feelings, thoughts, um, you can send them to us uh, at rememberthatpod at gmail.com or you can tweet at us at rttpod. Um, you can follow me across all social media channels at the real Anna Webb. And I'm at ACW Nerdfighter all over the internet. All over the internet. Mm-hmm. Any idea what we're doing next week, sis? I am going to finish talking about the wives of Henry VIII. In oh, boy. And we've got two left. No. Where am I? How many have I done? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where I am. We have at least one left. I think I have one left. I'm going to wrap them up. How many wives did he have? <laughs> Five? <laughs> Hold on. Now I have to check. This is the point we've reached. There are too many. And we've talked about all of them. I did that one and that one and that one. And I have two left. Two left. I have two more Catherines to talk about. We're going to finish them up next time. Yeah. So. um, After that, we will be free from Henry. Well. Not entirely. You don't know that. That, we'll talk I about mean, other people who were involved with him but eventually it won't... i'm gonna talk about his daughters so yeah but it won't be about how horrible he was to his wives anymore and i can get behind that. it will be a little bit because I mean, <laughs> he was horrible to his daughters because he was horrible to his wives so. that's true i'll never be free from henry and i just have to accept that fact i guess <laughs> none of us will ever be free from henry <laughs> so if you're interested in hearing more about him come back for the next episode um, yes in a couple weeks and we will we'll finish up those wives eh yeah All right. And until next time. Remember that time.